you're not still in Hebrews, you may want to turn there. We'll get to Hebrews 9 again just in a little bit. But last week we began a series called The Living Life Between the Two Advents. The first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ and the second advent. And we find ourselves in a position like some of the people of God in the Old Testament. They were living between promise and fulfillment. Children of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years, but God had promised after 400 years he would bring them out. So they were living between the promise and the fulfillment of that. And so it is when they come to the end of the Old Testament, there is the promise that the Messiah is going to come. And so there's the promise. And for 400 years, there is no word from God. They are waiting and then he comes. There is the arrival of the promised Messiah who Simeon held in his arms and said, this is the Lord's anointed, the Christ. He's here. And we find ourselves in the same position. We are living between the promise of Christ has already come, but we're, we're living in, in light of the hope of his second coming. So we're living between those two advents, the first and the second coming. Now, it wasn't clear to the, to the first century, uh, when Jesus came into the world, they were expecting that all the things that were told of him, they'd be fulfilled with his first coming in one coming. And of course, it didn't turn out that way. And uh, so that was difficult for many of them. But there was, in the words of Jesus, the words, I'm, I'm going to come again. And uh, so we are living in between those two advents. And we are looking at life and how we should live during this time. And uh, sometimes it's referred to as we're living between the already and the not yet. The already is that Christ has come. He has inaugurated his kingdom. And uh, the not yet is that he's going to come again. And that's where we're living. Tonight we want to talk about the already and the not yet of redemption from sin. As we look in the Old Testament, we're well aware there are many promises that are made and prophecies that are made concerning the coming of a Redeemer, a Messiah, a Savior. The first promise is found in Genesis 3.15. There's going to be a deliverer who will come from the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent, and we'll look at that uh, in weeks to come. Um, so there's the promise of this Messiah, this conquering Savior. And there are many prophecies that were given with regard to the fact that this one who would come would be the one who would redeem his people from their sin. They need a Savior. They need a Redeemer. And one of the clearest passages, one that we all love, is Isaiah 53. Uh, probably, I think about nine times it speaks in there about this one who's going to come, and it's written as if it's already accomplished, but this one who has come is going to save from transgression, from iniquities, uh, from sin, and he's going to bear our iniquities. Let me just read a couple of these verses. He was wounded for what? Our transgressions. He was bruised for what? Our iniquities. All we like sheep, we've gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, what? The iniquity of us all. He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions 
of my people, he was stricken. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And then he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. So in the Old Testament, we have the temple, we have priests, we have sacrifices. And as we read in Romans or Hebrews 9, these were simply a shadow. They were a type of the reality. It's a shadow that is cast backwards from Calvary, from the coming of the promised Messiah. Those things could never take away sin, could they? Not even one sin. But it was a picture, it was a type, and it was pointing to the reality, the promise of one who would come and he would intercede for the transgressors and he would bear the sin of many. As we made our way through the book of Zechariah weeks ago, it says there that in one day, the Lord says, I will remove the iniquity of that land just in one day. And then also in that day, a fountain shall be opened up for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Here is this fountain of cleansing. Come thou fount of every blessing. Uh, We sing that often. But here's this fountain that is opened up for sinners. So there are these and many other promises that a, a Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming to deal with the sin problem. That's our problem, isn't it? That our sins have separated us from a holy God and the wages of our sin is death. And so there's the promise of this coming Redeemer, Savior. So there's the promise, but what we find as we turn the pages into the New Testament is the already of this redemption of sin, from sin. And so we have in Luke 1... We have uh, Zacharias, who was promised that he would have a son, and this son would be none other than the the one that would go before the Christ that had been promised in the Old Testament. Uh, And Zacharias, he prophesies there, says, You, child, will be uh, called the prophet of the highest one, And you will prepare the way for him to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. That's what really is what is key, what is important. How do we need to be saved? How do we need to be delivered? Well, top on the list is we need to be forgiven of our sins. We need the remission of our sins. Jesus, uh, when he was conceived in the womb of Mary uh, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, um, as as Joseph gets word that his wife-to-be is pregnant, he's ready to divorce her, put her away privately, and the angel comes and says, no, she has not been unfaithful to you, she is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and you, Joseph, are to name that baby, and your name, the name that is to be given him is the name Jesus. And why is the name Jesus given? It means to be, it means uh, Jehovah saves. But what's the reason that it's given? 
He will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that he might re- we might receive the adoption as sons. 1 John 3, 5, you know that he was manifested, that is Christ, to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 1 Peter 2 talks about that he suffered once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So we live in the already now of this redemption. Christ has come. He's offered up himself as an offering. And now we are enjoying the fruits and the benefits of that. If we are a believer and a follower of Christ, united to him, our sins, not just part of them, but all of them have been nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. And so we are living in an age where we have seen the reality and the fulfillment of those promises of the coming of this Savior, and he has come. And now, as we have put our trust in him, we know that our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. Thirdly, we see the not yet of redemption from sin. As wonderful as all of that is, we do not have the full benefits of what Christ has won for us yet in terms of our sin and the redemption that is in him. Um, we have been forgiven, and uh, the, the uh, sin has been separated from us as far as the east is from the west, but not all the effects of sin have been removed. We sing at Christmas time, joy to the world, and Jesus has come to bring his blessings how far? As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found, he's come to make his blessings known. So the already is here. There's no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. We've been pardoned fully of our sins, and we thank God for that. But we still deal with sin, don't we? in our own life, in the world in which we live. So there is a finality with regard to the atonement for our sins, but there's a not yet part of it. We still struggle against sin. Sometimes theologians will refer to the church that is in heaven as the church triumphant. They're already in the presence of God, but the church that is on earth is what? The church militant. We're, we're in a battle, and we're to contend for the faith, as we saw this morning, but also we are dealing with sin in our own life. We are to be fighting against remaining corruption that is in us. So presently, this is where we live between the already and the not yet of this redemption, between the first and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says this to the Romans, Romans six twelve. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So there's a call here. Don't let sin reign. Now, there's a real sense in which with the new birth, 
and what God has done in us. Sin remains, but it doesn't rain. And so Paul says, don't let it rain. Don't let it have its way in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. The unregenerate sin reigns. But for believers, do not let it rain, and, and, and it cannot rain. Even though it does remain, we have the power and the grace of God in order that we, we may live in new ways. But we still sin, don't we? In First John, John writing says that if we say that we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. So we do still deal with sin. I don't think I'm alone. I am the first to raise my hand. Every day, we're fighting sin, aren't we? We know it. There's this remaining corruption that is still in us, the sin that remains in us. So Christ has come. We have been forgiven fully, but we haven't received the fullness of the redemption that he has won for us in regards to this sin. Um, It is finished. Christ will never die on the cross again. He has made propitiation for our sins, but we've not received the full blessing of that. And so we see, fourthly tonight, the hope of redemption from sin. We see this here in this in, in Hebrews 9 and verse 28. Having spoken about in the earlier verses that Christ has put away sin by his once-for-all offering. It was a a one-time event. It was in one day that God brought about this forgiveness through the work of Christ upon the cross. The priest in the Old Testament, they continually were offering up sacrifices. The high priest every year on the Day of Atonement would offer up an offering for the people of God. But Jesus, only once, one day, he, he laid down his life and he has entered into the most holy presence of the Lord on our behalf as our mediator. And so in verse 28, he says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Who are the many? Well, that's God's people, his elect. He laid down his life. The the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, which are here referred to as the many. And they are also those who are eagerly awaiting for him to appear a second time. And then the author, the apostle, says this, apart from sin. He came the first time to deal with sin, the sin issue, and he died on the cross to save us from our sins. But he's going to appear a second time, not with reference to dealing with the sin problem, which he already dealt with, but he's coming again for salvation, the full consummation of the salvation that he has won for us, will be ours when he comes again a second time. So here is the second advent. And when he comes, he's going to bring in the fullness of our salvation. Uh, When we think about being saved, we can think about it in three tenses. I have been saved. Right now I am being saved. And there's coming a day when I will finally fully be saved. So... 
right now we're in the middle. I, I am being saved. Um, I remember Mark Webb, I thought it was a helpful statement. He says, you often hear people say, once saved, always saved, which he said it's true, but who are, who are those that are being saved? He said, once saved, always being saved. God's people are always being saved. They're always growing in grace and being sanctified. But we have been saved, we are being saved, and we finally one day will be saved when he comes a second time and appears to bring in the full consummation of our salvation that has been promised to us. And one of those promises is that it will be then that we will have a pure heart. We will be glorified and we will never again struggle with sin. Um, turn, if you will, to 1 Peter, just over a few pages. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse uh, 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are looking for future grace. When Christ comes, what will we receive? Well, we're going to receive grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the meantime, as obedient children, we're not to be conformed to this world, we're to live holy. But what are we looking for? We're looking for Christ to come again. And at this revelation, we're going to receive grace fullness of the salvation that Christ has promised for us, for his people. I remember hearing a story of a, a man, I don't know if he was a pastor, he may have been a pastor, but his neighbor had come to visit him, he was, he was not well, he was going to die soon, and the man said to him, speaking, wanting to speak well to him, he said, he said, now you're finally going to get what you deserve, and he said, no, I'm not. I am going to get grace. That's someone that understood the gospel. I'm not going to get what I deserve. I'm going to get grace. We receive grace in Christ. We stand in grace. And when he comes again, we are going to receive grace. And we will receive the full consummation of this salvation that Christ for, has won for us. And so as we are living now between the already and the not yet of those events, um, just in closing, some, just some application points. How are we to live then? Well, we just read from Peter. Peter calls us to live holy lives. As those who are recipients of this grace walk in holiness, even as he is holy, you also be holy. And so, because there is remaining sin in us, it's a fight, isn't it? And, and Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Pursue after holiness. Pursue after this eternal life that God has granted to you. So, fight the good fight of faith. Paul says in Romans thirteen fourteen, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh in regards to its lusts. Sin, again, it doesn't rain, but it does remain. I love the statement by John Owen. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And so there is this battle. There's this struggle between the, uh, the spirit and the flesh. 
And uh, there's the call as we live between the already and the not yet to pursue hard after holiness. The word that we looked at where Peter says to contend is from a Greek word that has the idea of to agonize. It's the same word that's used here, fight the good fight of faith. There's an agonizing battle against our flesh, isn't it? It doesn't die easily. And so this is a call that is given to us. Every day that we awake, take up your cross, Jesus said, deny yourself and come and follow me. But in light of this, that he's coming again, we can live in hope. We can live in hope. The one day that battle is going to be over, there will be a final consummation of Christ's work for us, and remaining sin is going to end one day. As we live in this world, we often are fighting against despair, despondency, even pessimism. We can become weary in well-doing. And a lot of that is related to dealing with our own sin. We can so easily become discouraged. I feel I'm not making the progress that I should, and I'm fighting against often same sins again and again and again. But here is a reminder to us to take hope that as we, as we fight against sin, and it can be exhausting and it can be discouraging, sometimes we feel like we're taking two steps forward and maybe one back or vice versa, there is hope. There is hope for us because of the work of Christ. Even the psalmist said, I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's a new day coming. Hebrews tells us that we walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, they are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So there's the call for us to keep our eyes fixed upon this hope that Christ has won for us. And Peter tells us that we've been born again to a living hope, a living hope. We've been birthed into this living hope. Christ has won for us an eternal inheritance, and he will make all things new one day. And so 1 John 3 tells us that when we see him, we will be like him. When we see Christ, whether he comes to receive us to himself or we go to meet him in death, when we see him, we shall be like him. We shall be as we have been predestined to be conformed to his image and likeness. We will be like him morally. There will no longer be the struggle against sin that is yet within us. And we take hope in this, that he who began the good work in us is going to continue that work even till the day of Jesus Christ. And there's coming a day when we will no longer struggle against sin. And so take hope in that. Take encouragement in that. We look forward to a day as we just sang about. On that day when free from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. When this passing world is done, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart.
hard for us to imagine. I think just about everything we do is tainted with sin and sometimes motives that are not right. But there will be a day when with a perfect heart, we will love and we will serve our God. And we look forward to that day. We'll join the church triumphant when we die. If we die in Christ, we will go to be with him and no longer struggle with sin. Or if Christ comes again, and even so come Lord Jesus, when we see him, we will be like him and we will not struggle with sin. And what will be the song that we will join with the saints above? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and you redeemed us to God by your own blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and you have made us kings and priests to our God. That is our great hope. That is our promise from our Savior as we await his coming. Paul gives these words in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants his people to abound in hope, even in the midst of fallen, broken world where there is sin and decay and we groan in these bodies. Even there, he wants us to abound in May we, by his grace, may we, may we so abound. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.